1: Hi, I'm JR Lawry, and this is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing career coaching, content, courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise.io online and join today. Today, my guest is Tammy Alvarez. Tammy is the CEO and founder of Career Winner Circle, which offers a comprehensive collection of coaching and training programs designed to strengthen leaders to grow their careers quickly and sustainably. Her spirited break-all-the-rules approach blends decades of C-suite experience on Wall Street with a pragmatic results-based coaching style. She helps business professionals create impact so they can love every Monday morning again. Prior to starting Career Winner Circle, Tammy held a variety of leadership roles at AIG, Bank Lumi, Genesis 10, Bank of America, and Compuware. She earned her bachelor's degree in business administration from American Intercontinental University. Tammy, welcome. Thanks for doing the show with me today.
2: Thanks, Sarah. I appreciate the invite. I've been looking forward to this all week.
1: All right. Well, great. It's only Tuesday when we're recording, but I'll I'll take that as a win nonetheless. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us about Career Winner Circle.
2: So Career Winner Circle is a coaching and advising company that really helps people get the most out of their career. And the areas that we focus on most are helping people drive career strategy and figuring out really where they need to take their career where they want to. We have a lot of work that we do also in leadership development. So if you're in the right path and you really love what you're doing, How do you thrive in that environment? And then we also help new entrepreneurs and small businesses. So if your career path takes you that way and you're looking for advisory work on how to do that in a profitable and fast way, then that's another area that we help people in.
1: Do you tend to do more work with people individually or more work through companies that hire you to work with their teams?
2: Most of our work is done individually. Okay. So when I started the business, I had left a thriving career in corporate America. Yeah. And I was still addicted to the work. So yeah. I knew that if I had started selling business to business, that I just get sucked right back into what I was trying to get out of. Yeah. And so the organization was really founded on a business to consumer model focused on those people who are mid to senior level, who really aren't getting the coaching, the guidance the you know, the things that they need from their companies and that are really willing to self-fund because they know that with a little guidance, they're able to yeah. level up much more quickly.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I mean, most people tend to focus a lot on working with companies because that's usually where the money is. But I also thought about what I was trying to do with Pathwise is being oriented toward a more of a business to consumer model. And I think particularly because, you know, this generation that's just starting their careers, I mean, they're going to change jobs. They may change careers multiple times during the course of their career. And so it can't depend on the company that they're working for necessarily to be giving them the long-term advice that they need, right? It's oh, it's a little yeah. bit like the old world of defined benefit pension plans shifting into, you know, defined contribution 401k plans. This is sort of born from the same, the same thesis, I guess, or the same, yeah. same general trend.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And what ended up happening is cuz we were, you know, I was only selling to self-funding individuals. But as I started working with my clients over time, they start bringing us into their organizations. Yeah. And so that's really how from an organic perspective, we do support companies in terms of their leadership development and things like that. But that really comes from clients who have funded themselves and then say, "You know what my team needs you or my team needs one of your coaches." And so that's another way that we, you know, have started to begin to work over the past two or three years with with businesses as well.
1: So you mentioned a minute ago, you had a successful career in financial services, IT consulting. Was there a moment for you that led to the decision to go in a completely different direction and get into coaching? Yep. <laughs> I It <figured.
2: laughs> you know, was one of those defining moments. And so I spent my entire career on and around or in and around Wall Street. So uh, I was became known as a transformation expert because I love change. I mm. love drama, all the things. And typically when the building was burning and everyone was running out, I was bringing my team and we were going in. Right. And fortunately in financial services, there was never a gap, right? There was always some kind of crisis that was going on. And, and so through that, I really just earned my reputation and my brand and loved what I was doing. And I remember we were sitting on an earnings call and we were with the analysts and we were you know, getting our clocks cleaned because we had missed earnings, and you know, I had had that spidey sense for the past couple of years that this was no longer serving me the way it had in the past. Yeah. And after that, I was just like, "This sucks. I am so sick of this." Yeah. And you know, Making bad decisions quarter after quarter just to serve the analysts and and the street and stock price, which obviously is really important, your shareholders. But it just it no longer served me. And so the timing was right. My daughter was graduating college. So she was off the payroll mm-hmm. and my big fancy apartment in New York, cause I was a managing director. So we had all the fancy things, right? So that was coming, the, the lease was coming up on that. And I just decided that, you know what, this is not going to work for me anymore. Yeah. And pivoting into another executive role For me, was the pinnacle of failure. Like it was just another acronym, same crap. Just I just couldn't do it another minute. It's been over twenty five years, and so I cashed out, moved to a tropical island in Central America, off the coast of Belize, and started this coaching company.
1: And now you're in Mexico City. So you now we're
2: five years later. Now we're in Mexico City. That's right.
1: So you talk about breaking all the rules. So what are the beliefs or the core beliefs that underpin your approach to coaching?
2: Yeah. You know, and it's, you, you touched on one of them throughout my career. I had reinvented my career many times, mostly because I got bored and wanted something different, but I didn't know what I was doing. I used to do what comes naturally, but as I was doing that. And with the benefit of hindsight, I just realized that so many people stay stuck in these soul crushing jobs that they hate because they feel that there's no other option. Yeah. And so there's several, what I call just flat out lies that we are either taught or we believe that hold us back. You touched on one when we started and that's the company's going to take care of us, Yeah. right? And that if we do good work, that we'll get noticed, we'll get recognized and the right thing will happen. Well, guess what? That never happens, right? So if you don't advocate for yourself, if you don't really drive the change that you want, you will never get where you want to be. Another core belief that people that hold people back is they believe that if they want to make a substantial change, that they're going to have to take a step back. And as it turns out, if you do it wrong, that happens. But when you do it right, then you have got these amazing opportunities where you're actually paid more. So we spend a lot of time helping mid to senior level leaders pivot into something they've never done before. And so they're worried, right? Because they've got ex-spouses to pay for, houses, kids in college, all kinds of toys. And they just can't sell everything and live in a year. And so when you do it right, on average, our clients are making 20% more. And then I think one of the other core beliefs that people for some reason have given up on is not just the pipe dream, but the demand that you should love every Monday. Mm -hmm. And that everything that you should that you do should light you up. And if it doesn't, you have the power to change it. And you have the power to use that to pivot into a career that you're thriving in, where you feel like you're making an impact. You're working with people who get you. I know how many times you look around, you're like, "Okay, I'm surrounded by idiots here. I can't take this anymore." And yeah. so to to really just give up on all of those things, thinking that it's for other people or that you know it doesn't really work that way. The reality is, it does. And you can structure that type of reality for yourself if you want to.
1: Your marketing materials brought to mind Moonstruck and that that scene where Cher slaps Nicolas Cage and tells him to snap out of it. So what are what you're saying to your clients figuratively yes. you know, in terms of just getting themselves out of the inertia, the doldrums that they're in? What do you do specifically to get them to snap out of it?
2: Put themselves first. Yeah. When you are in a job that doesn't serve you, or you're in an organization where there's not a good culture fit, you tend to feel like you don't fit in Mm. and you spend a lot of time trying to make yourself fit in. And it's a waste of time because it just, it won't work. And so what we really teach our clients to do is to come back to center. And I'm not like an airy fairy coach, right? Like I'll give you a kick in the butt as much as I'll give you a hug. But what we want to do is understand what are the things in terms of the tasks the leadership environment, the culture that light you up, like not just the things that you think are most marketable or the things that are the most valuable, but what are the things in the environments that you can lean into for 12 hours a day and never get tired? Then go find that. Because when you do that, then you are in a position where you're just naturally going to be energized. Yeah, And so that's step one. And then step two is what we spend a lot of time doing is helping clients find what I call their it factor. And what that is, is that's a unique set of, you know, circumstances, perspectives, and experiences that make you better, not just different than everyone else. Right. And everyone has that. And when that it factor is in high demand and in short supply, then that's magic, right? So all of a sudden you're showing up big in places that desperately need what you have and value what you can deliver and you're able to make a much bigger impact.
1: So you've chosen it factor over superpower.
2: Yeah. I think superpower is a bit overused, right? <laughs> so, you know, impact, it factors used a lot too, right? So it's, there's only so many different ways you can, you can cut this, but what it boils down to is what are the things that light you up? Yeah. And then how do you use that and your experience to find places in the market where you are in high demand and in short supply? And that's what people forget about. Yeah. Right. And so there's so many situations. I mean, let's face it. The economy has been volatile for decades. It will not, it will not change. And so with that creates opportunity because volatility does create opportunity from a career perspective. And when you find places or industries where the skills that you have aren't organically available, that's where you go. Because then you start shifting from getting paid for what you do to getting paid for what you know. And then that's how you know you lean in, you're in high demand, your compensation goes through the roof and the amount of impact that you're able to make is much more significant because you've got the playbook to what they need. I've got a really good example. One of my corporate clients, you know, hyper growth for over a decade and they're hitting some headwinds. Mm-hmm. And so they need to continue to grow, but with more financial, let's say mindfulness, right? Because mm-hmm. you can just throw money at a problem. Now, for those that have grown up in that company, They don't know how to do that. Yeah. Because anytime they've had a problem, just hire more people, throw more money. sounds like
1: most of the tech industry.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Which is why we're seeing the compression that we're seeing. You know, and so from that perspective, when you come in and you know how to do this well and inspire people and be able to lead, then all of a sudden that you know you are like you know the holy Mm grail, and that's really every person that is ambitious and cares about their career has that. And so what we do is we help them find it and then figure out where are you going to be most valued in terms of what's going on in the market today.
1: For clients who've come to you with that need to sort of break the rules, right? To snap out of it. What percent of them end up staying with the company they're with? What percent go to another company in the same industry? And what percent go in a completely different direction?
2: So oh, interesting, I do have that data, right? So you can take the girl out of Wall Street, but you can't take the Wall Street out of the girl. So I, can't, I hang on to all the stuff and keep track of my clients and see where okay. they're going. So about 10 to 15% are actually, they end up staying within the organization that they're in, but they usually end up getting promoted. Because what happens is if they're in big enough companies, there's other parts of the area or the organization that have the kind of culture, the vibe, the demand that they need, and they start showing up differently just because of they're getting coached. And all of a sudden, this dead end seems like it's an option. Most of our people, I would say, you know, out of that 10%, let's take the other 90, about 60 to 70% of those people make a pivot to doing something that they've never done before. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the smartest way or the easiest way to do that is to either stay in the same role, new industry, right, or stay in the same industry with a brand new role. And so that's typically where you're going to be able to see that type of pivot, whether you, and I encourage people to think about things in terms of ecosystem. So think about all the different companies and the businesses that are involved in your business. So whether it's a vendor or a supplier or an right. upstream, you know, those types of things, you know, they're very, very different. It's just, you know, a complete opportunity, greenfield opportunity to do something new and exciting and still be relevant. And then another 10% just head into completely different fields, new roles completely. I mean, I've had, you know, a finance exec and, you know, working for a renewable as a, you know, government liaison for renewables energy startup. Right. I mean, you can't get two more diametrically opposed things, but there was enough commonality between their capabilities and interests where it actually, you know, it worked out. And there's a couple other examples like that.
1: Interesting. You also work with people, you know, who are trying to get a promotion, right? So a little bit different situation. I mean, you you talked a bit before about people who just don't feel like they're kind of fitting in where they are. What are some of the other reasons for people who are more interested in staying where they are, but want that promotion or feeling that sense of being stuck? What are some of the other th- things that tend to be the cause of their feeling stuck?
2: I think the biggest root cause, and I suffered from this too early in my career until I realized that this was not getting me where I wanted to go. So I had to change my tack, but people are not spending enough time building what I call their power base. We worry about networks. We worry about all that kind of stuff. How many connections we have on LinkedIn, all these simply vanity metrics. Right. At the end of the day, what you need to get promoted are three things. The most important thing is that you need to have sponsors within the organization beyond your boss. And the sponsor is somebody who is going to advocate for you when you're not in the room. Right. Because here's the reality there's only so many promotions to go around. Right. And if somebody's going to nominate you, that's at the expense of their own team members, it's at the expense of their managers. And so you need to be able to have those stakeholders that are around the table that are all saying, absolutely, out of all of our leaders, this is the one we need to bet on. But now how do you do that, right? How do you become that person that everyone advocates for at the expense of their own people? Bonuses work the same way. Mm -hmm. And what you really need to do is to identify and lead on a problem that everyone is afraid to take Responsibility for. And so I used to call those like in my mind, there's, there's lights on, BAU, do your job. Right. Right. And then there's two other extra credit project type things that really, you know, one gets you noticed and one will not. Right. So one I call the doormat projects, which is just mm-hmm. a crap no one else wants to do. Right. right. And so don't take those because no one wants them. But the other ones, and I'm a New Yorker. Right. So I call them my third rail projects. Now, the third rail in the subway system, if you touch it, will kill you right? And we all see them a mile away, right? These are massive problems your organization has. They're this, you, know, you can drive a Mac truck through it. It's so big. No one wants to touch it because it's like dead man walking. The The opportunity for failure is significant. Mm-hmm. But if you start to, even on a small level, start to handle the things that people are too afraid to touch when everyone else is hiding under their desk and you're like, you know what? I will lead this, but I'm going to do it inclusively, get the right people involved, make sure that it's transparent. You don't have to get it all the way over the finish line. Yeah. Right. You only have to get it a little bit over the finish line. And then you're seen as the leader that people choose to follow. Yeah. And so when you can do that, then you start to get that sponsorship that you know you need. And then the third piece is you need to believe it yourself. And too many people are the last one to agree that they need it. Even if they want it, you don't step into that role. So if you're not stepping into that role and you don't believe you can do it, then you won't, right? So yeah. I think that that trifecta are really the things that you need to be able to move your career forward and get
1: promoted. How do the people who who jump into the fray, the second of your three things, avoid becoming the permafixer where they just, they, they get sort of thrown on one high visibility project after another, but they're always flying a level below where they really want to be. Right. Does that make sense?
2: It does. I think the biggest rule is don't overcommit to your ability without the compensation. Mm -hmm. Right. Companies will only pay you what they have to. Yes. Full stop. Right. So if you don't demand compensation for yourself and title and the things, you know, and and the span of control that you deserve, you're not going to get it. Why would they? right? I mean, it's not personal, it's business. And so when you start to treat your career like a CEO and you start, or you look at your career like a CEO and and like a business, you make different decisions. And so you want to get in there and fix something. But what I've always seen and what I help my clients do is as you are doing that big thing that people are afraid of, you know, and as you are bringing that to a solution of some sort, then you usually end up taking it over or end up in a position where you can call where you want to go next. And so from that perspective, the way you don't just stay, you know, the permanent, the perma fixer, and you're able to continue to move up is, you know, you're building a new thing that people need. You can oversee it and continue to grow because the higher up you go, then the bigger problems you can fix. And so you can start this in a very micro situation in your department you know, or the group that you work with and then continue to use the same techniques, but use that to continue to level up every time you do it.
1: You focus on executive presence as well. Executive presence is one of these terms that That probably means somewhat different things to different people. How do you define it?
2: I define executive presence as being the leader that people choose to follow. Doesn't matter what the org chart says, doesn't matter what the hierarchy says, but people will go to battle for you no matter what. When you have that, then you've got executive presence.
1: Yeah. And how do you help your clients build that?
2: We break it down into the, you know, we look at really six different specific leadership attributes that you need to be able to get there in whatever way there is, right? And it's building that vision, you know, be able to drive the strategy, be able to execute that vision, moving forward and being able to get that done and handle the roadblocks and inspire people along the way. And so we look at all of these things and we start to break down, you know, where are their natural strengths? So we're going to go back to the superpower or the overused superpower word. Mm-hmm. So many leaders are focused and people are focused on the things they're not good at, right? It's like, I got to fix this. I'm terrible at that. And they obsess over that. Well, guess what? You're never going to be. So don't try, right? But when you identify those core things that come naturally to you that are really, really strengths and you perfect and hone and build and get better at those, you will grow your career significantly faster. You will develop that executive presence significantly faster. And if you sit there trying to fix all the things that you don't. So a core part of our coaching methodology is we play to your strengths. You learn how to use those and leverage those as an asset. And at the same time, build mitigation strategies on how do you close the gaps for the things that you're not good at. Right, because for me, you know, I led ultimately at the end of my career. I think the biggest teams I ever led was about two thousand people across thirty-six different countries. So I had a lot going on. Yeah, and there was a lot of things I suck at. So many, but I made sure that I surrounded myself with people who had the skills that I didn't, that I felt were smarter than me. So I listened to their advice, and also the people who were brave enough to tell me that my baby was ugly. Mm. Right, because the further up you go, the less honest people can be. And so what you'll hear at the ground level is very different than what you'll hear three or four levels up. And I needed people, you know, cause you start to buy your own BS after a while, because everyone mm. is feeding it to you. Right. And so you really want to surround yourself with people who will challenge and be an honest and just say, hey, this is not what you think is happening. is actually not happening. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really how you really build that executive presence by, you know, having those people that will challenge you as well.
1: One last coaching related question. So boundary setting, I know this is another area that you've worked with clients on. So the whole idea of of work life balance and boundary setting it's kind of taking on a much different meaning in our post covid work world and curious to hear how your clients are struggling with setting boundaries and the guidance you give them on on how to better do so
2: yeah i think there's still so much going on in terms of the call back to work versus working remotely and right. you know all that mess right and so the way i look at boundaries is kind of the way i look at your career trajectory and it's, there's seasonality, right? So there's seasonality to our careers. There's times where you can take more risk, times where you really can't, you know, depending on what's going on, kids in college, whatever, you know, so those types of things. And so, in, you know, instead of looking in boundaries in terms of, you know, equal every week and there's a lot going on, I think we need to do is constantly check in on where are your priorities. What's going on? And there are times where you've got to lean in to work, right? And it's like, you know what? There is just no boundaries right now. I just got to get this done. You know, and you know, it's a short sprint, it's not years, but yeah. you're able to do that. There are times where you need to take care of the personal things, right? Aging parents, children, whatever. And that's where you go, but you know what? Good enough is gonna to have to be good enough right now. Mm-hmm. And so, really, where the whole boundary setting comes in is being really aware. Of not only what your priorities are, but what your priorities are in the moment, because they're gonna shift, they're gonna change, they're gonna flex and finding the opportunity to, you know, and the discipline to be able to do that. I think also, and I find that with almost all my clients as we go through this, a lot of us have this hero complex. Like we think, if we don't get involved, if we don't respond to that email at ten o'clock at night, if we don't log on on Sunday afternoon to get a head start on the week, bad things will happen. And I guarantee you, it won't. Like we're yeah. not, for the most part, we're not saving lives, right? If you're saving lives, that's a different story. But for most of us, just in a regular corporate role, yeah. you know, we overinflate the need for our involvement. And yeah. and when you start to realize that maybe that's a little more self-imposed than not, and change those behaviors, good things start to happen.
1: Yeah, one of the other people I interviewed recently had a really interesting take on it. His view is I want to do only the work that I am uniquely good at. And it, like a complete diametrically opposed view of the people who are like, I have to be involved. Right. Yeah. His view was, my job is to find people who, you know, make it possible for me to do almost as little as I can, right? Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I mean, this is a person who's leading a very big organization and is very engaged. So it's not like he's slacking off by any stretch, but it turns the whole thing on its head, right? Empowering people, delegating to people, you know, in your organization to really tap into their full set of strengths so that you can focus on your superpower.
2: Well, that's it, right? And my team does the same thing even now, right? There are things that I suck at and I know that. And so those were the first things I'm like, all right, let's get some help in and let's get some support. And so the best thing I can do for my company and for my team is to stay out of the way. Yeah. Right. So feeding into the same concept for sure.
1: Yeah. So good segue into talking about your role as a business owner. So how did you find that transition out of the corporate world and into being an entrepreneur?
2: It was a disaster. <laughs> I was such a hot mess. I had no idea what I was doing. I think I made every mistake you could possibly imagine because... yeah. And I knew it would be different, but I didn't appreciate it's kind of like having kids, right? You're never really ready. You know, no matter how much people tell you. Right. And so yeah, I screwed absolutely everything up. You name it, I made the mistake. The good news is though, because of my corporate training, I'm used to making mistakes and failing fast and pivoting. And right. so I think that was the one thing that really saved my bacon, if you will, is my ability to say, oh, hang on a second, slow, not stupid. This doesn't work. And let's find, let's try something different. And so so I found the transition incredibly difficult. The solopreneur route was very lonely Mm. for me. I was used and I'm an adrenaline junkie, right? So I'm used to 10 hours of meetings, four hours of work, lines out my door, you know, and those types of things. And then all of a sudden, like no one needed me. And it was a very weird transition, learning how to be a smart entrepreneur and spending my own money instead of other people. So that was a bit of an adjustment as well. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, you know, while I have a sales background and that's kind of how I grew up in terms of early parts of my career, because I decided to go business to consumer, I didn't know any of it. I don't yeah. know, sales funnel, you know, email marketing, I knew nothing. And so adjusting to all this, I think one of the biggest mistakes I made is I built this great offer that I know was desperately needed. Yeah. And it was how to be a good transformational leader. That was my background. I know people suck at this. I mean, you know what could possibly go wrong? And the big mistake I made is I didn't actually ask people who would maybe buy from me if they would pay for it. And as it turns out, I built this great offer for something no one would buy Yeah, because I wasn't selling to businesses, people who were self-funding, that wasn't a pain point they were willing to pay to fix. And so I wasted like the first six to seven months of, you know, this just blowing money and just having no idea what I was doing. So I quickly hired a coach. And I've had a coach ever since they've changed as my company has grown, but, you know, realized that I need a wingman to help me with what I'm doing. And, and today we've got five coaches. We're thriving and growing like crazy. So fortunately the mistakes weren't fatal, but they were definitely good learning experiences.
1: Yeah. Sometimes they're moderately expensive. They were not
2: inexpensive.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: That's for sure.
1: So what's the state of the business today? And how much of it's about one-on-one coaching? How much of it's about leading courses and all of that?
2: So all of our stuff has a live coaching element to it. Doesn't matter, yeah. right? I think the idea of these courses and set it and forget it, you know, people don't do it, right? And they don't get the value from it, let's face it. So really what we like to do is we like to provide a variety of different ways for people to lean in. Most of our stuff is private. It ebbs and flows. Like during COVID, our stuff went to group. Because two things happened during COVID, demand went through the roof, but people's willingness to pay private coaching rates did not, right? Because they were hedging financially for good reason. And so then you go to a one-to-many model, right? So that way people can get the same level of transformation for themselves, but at a lower price point. Right. And so between quick challenges where, you know, it's just kind of hitting the reset button or a group coaching where there's a live session every week or private coaching, all of those things are really a nice blend. So we can really meet our customers where they want to be both financially, as well as some people like community, right? I mean, they build this little cohort and now they got, you know, they got ride or die partners that they're not working with. That they right. can lead on you know and i keep in touch with many of our former clients and they there's like an alumni group right they're all mm-hmm. like you know they, and they stay in touch which is great so it really is seasonal in terms of what's going on in the market but right now most people are looking for private work but they're not you know what we're finding also because what we've done is we've moved more of a subscription-based model where yeah. you know there's not a coaching engagement per se Right? We have a coaching plan. We know what you want to accomplish. But what happens is when you achieve something, you've got new obstacles and new opportunities and you're in environments that you haven't been in before. And they're finding that as we continue to coach with them, as they grow and evolve, that they're growing significantly faster. You know, and it's interesting because I'm in the process of a, a survey that I send out once a year to, you know, our growing client base. And so early days, you know, I like to understand the long-term benefits of coaching or not, but so far early results, 75% of our clients are making more than 30% with them when they started working with us. Yeah. And this is after they've stopped working with us, you know, so those types of things are really interesting just to see the way people are using coaching in replacement of the company's, you know, support that they're not getting yeah. to really start to advocate for themselves and to get where they want to go a lot faster.
1: Well, it's a little bit like physical exercise, right? I mean, if you really invest in it, right? You will get better. You will see noticeable improvements, but you got to commit to doing it.
2: Yeah. There's no pixie dust, right? I didn't have that in the budget this year. So you actually have to do the work yourself, but you've got these great guides, you know, with all of our coaches that help get you there. And I think the fundamental difference in how we coach is that we advise Yeah. Right. when, so ICF probably hates us. I don't know, you know, but so instead of asking the 700 questions, like it's always our client's journey, but sometimes you just need to be told what to do. Yeah. And you was like, and I don't know, at least once a week, I'm like, out of my mouth will come don't do that. That's the dumbest idea ever. I'm like, that's career yeah. suicide. And so, you know, that blend of advice and helping them get there the way they want to is big. And it really does have a significant, and it, I love it because it just come back the next two weeks. Like I did that and it worked. I'm like, I know <laughs> And that's always fun. Right. So when you're able to help them do that.
1: Yeah. Different space. But have you seen the show on Apple TV shrinking? I have not. No. So Jason Siegel is the star. It's got Harrison Ford and others in it as well. And he basically, he's a psychiatrist and he gets tired of like asking questions and not really saying what's on his mind. And he just decides to start telling people what to do. And it kind of goes from there. I won't spoil it for you in case you want to watch it.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. Right. And a lot of times that's, I, that's what my advisor does for me. I'm like, yeah. you know, it's some coaching headspace, you know, limiting beliefs, all those kind of fun things, which is desperately needed. I think at every point in time in our careers, but it's also the, okay, what do I do here? How do I think mm. about this? What decisions do I have to make? And what kind of critical thinking do I need to consider to make a good outcome for everyone?
1: Yep. Sometimes you just need a nudge or a push but, or whatever, yeah. right? That's right? Yeah. So what are your aspirations for the business over the next few years?
2: We are in hyper growth mode. So aspirations are to continue to grow. We've got five coaches that we've added to the platform so far. We'll have a total of 10 by the end of this year. And then we're going to continue to grow and serve our clients. And each of our coaches are, they just come from a different perspective. They've got different professional backgrounds. And so it's really fun now to be able to leverage for our clients, the multidimensionality of our coaching staff. So for example, I've got a private client who shows a lot of board work. And she's, you know, presenting to boards and stuff like that. And she's in a very male dominated industry and there's a lot of bullies on the board. Mm. And so this confident, assertive, self-assured woman really struggles with holding her own space at the board level. And so I, you know, I've got one of our coaches, he's got a military background. And so it's great practice. He can just go bully her around and she can practice the things that she works in a safe environment you know, I've got another one who's looked at, she's done a TED talk and, you know, she's just got amazing backgrounds, but she's a communications expert in terms of presentations. So, you know, for our clients that get tongue-tied or they just feel like I've got a big presentation, you know, being able to bring a situational expert in to help our clients with a specific need, you know, as we continue to broaden out the breadth of our coaching staff, just becomes yeah. more and more valuable for our clients.
1: Do you find the, a lot of your clients take advantage of multiple coaches, like they work with different people in your group on different things or do they tend to zero in pretty much and work with one person?
2: It's one person, right? Because you've got that relationship where the demand comes in is for that specific, you know, like I'm a negotiation expert, right? So when it comes to comp negotiation, you know, being able to hold your own, and do those type of things, that's my jam. So I'm happy to come in and, and help supply and support that. So really, you got your primary coach because that's the one who knows you best. That's the one you've got the best compatibility with. And right. then we bring in experts to really help our clients through very specific situations when they need it.
1: Okay. So go back to the beginning of your career. When you were in school, I'm sure you didn't imagine that you would be living in Mexico City and running a coaching business. What did you see yourself doing professionally when you were a college student?
2: Well, I didn't get my college degree until I was 40. Okay. So, you know, so very interesting trajectory, a different trajectory in terms of being a managing director on wall street as a female, young female, young, and no college degree. Like Mm. I never spent a day in college. Yeah. Long story short, what ended up happening, teenager parents split up. We didn't have any money. Quite frankly, I pretty much sucked in high school anyway. So I was not motivated to continue on my own dime. So I started working yeah. and I figured, you know, let me work for a couple of years, figure out what I want to do. Then I'll go back to college. But then I kept getting promoted. Mm. And, you know, so from that perspective then I got married, then I had my daughter. And so all of a sudden I'm like sitting here at 40 years old, managing giant teams, having a thriving career and never spent a day in college. And I finally went back to get my degree when I was getting vetted to sit on a board of directors for a tech startup. Yeah. And it was perfect. My connections were great. We were going to be able to really help grow. And I got DQ'd because I didn't have a degree and it literally looked bad on the bio. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So then, just for spite, I went and got my degree. So, I've always played because I've been the underdog and, you know, poor girl, grew up in a country town in New Jersey, didn't have a lot of money, never traveled. And so my background was very different from those that I ended up working with. And so my risk tolerance, I've always played like I've had nothing to lose because I didn't, I didn't have anything to lose. So I think that with a lot of Moxie and the benefit of having some tremendous mentors in my career who have been single-handedly responsible for really helping me, putting me in situations that they knew I could handle that I didn't think yeah. I could. Um, very, very early in my career, just, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be able to do these things. When
1: it, you know, it's interesting now, we've pretty much banned educational requirements on job descriptions, other than maybe when there's a professional certification involved, right? And the idea is to broaden the candidate pool. And it it certainly feels like five years into adulthood, does it really matter anymore? And yet, historically, the work world has clung to 15 years of experience with a master's degree or whatever. And it's interesting how all that's changing. And you obviously have a personal perspective on this. I wonder what it's going to do to the value that people place on college, Because already, you know, and some of this is COVID, percent of people who are now going off to a four-year school has gone from like 70% to 60%. And it just, I wonder whether there's a a big change in the tide coming around just the value that people put on getting a college degree versus just going right into the work world and making it for themselves.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I think the entire, speaking in the U S at least, you know, the entire education system could use a little disrupting if you ask me, right. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's postgrad, under whatever. And so what I think will be happening or what should be happening, like I, I even saw my daughter, you know, who's, you know, she's 27. So she's been out of, of college for a bit, but like even the best and brightest kids in her school were going to community college for undergrad, you know, for the first two years. Because why are they going to be spending $80,000 a year on 101 and 201 classes on Gen Ed? Like that doesn't make any sense at all. And so I think we have to rethink like how we structure education, the pricing of education. I mean, we are putting these children in poverty before they even have a chance to get out and make any money. And it's just a hot mess. So until the value is there and when start people, because in my time, that was the thing I was most insecure about. Obviously, HR knew I didn't have a degree. My bosses knew I didn't have a degree, but it was not something I touted like something I was proud of, like I do today. Like that was a closely guarded secret because it was the thing I was most insecure about, you know. But things are different now, and I also think the generation that's coming up now have a different perspective, right? It's not a work first mentality, and I kind of like it, right? I think it's the balance that they they seem to bring before they even get started. Is something I'm helping my 30 year career clients start to migrate to, right? And to unwind to.
1: Yeah, it definitely is noticeable that they put work in a different place in their lives than our generation was sort of taught that you have to do, right? Yeah. You know, I, it will be interesting to see as life continues for them whether they put themselves onto more of a harder driving track or whether they don't, and stay comfortable with the fact that maybe they're not going to have as many of the trappings of life as the people who do.
2: And is that a bad thing, right? I think one of the biggest aha moments when I moved to Belize, right? We're on this Mm -hmm. little tropical island off the coast of Belize. It was a diving community because we loved scuba dive. And I remember for the first two years, I have never made less money. Like we're going back to like right when I started practically, right? Never made less money and lived so richly in my life. Amazon doesn't deliver to Belize, Mm. right? No one asks you what you do for a living because no one cares. You're either a good person or you're a jerk and that's it, you know? And and so to be able to go from Manhattan, Wall Street, you know, money, power, things, status, and literally overnight, go to basically a joke run. I'm like, I went from Soho to Boho, right? To a place where people wear flip-flops as, you know, that's formal wear. Right. And no one cares about how much money you have, how much power you That Like everyone's on an even playing field and no one cares. And that to me was the biggest reset, I think in my adult life I've ever had. And yeah. having the benefit of hindsight that I really need those, you know, 14 pair of Louboutin designer shoes and mm-hmm. all the fancy handbags and all. Probably not right? You know, so don't get stuck in them to begin with, and then you're not going to miss it. But there's a rich life that can be lived outside of the commercialism that I think, at least in American culture, a lot of people get sucked into.
1: When you look back on your corporate career, now that you're a career coach, how would you rate your own career ownership and your moves from the beginning of your career into your decision to jump into what you're doing now?
2: Yeah. In terms of owning my career, A plus. I'm an impatient person. (laughs) I don't suffer fools. And I have this horrible... Ability to be incredibly direct without a filter. And mm. so I was always in that. City. Again, remember high risk tolerance. I felt like I had nothing to lose, but I also like, if I didn't like something, I changed it. Like I didn't stay because, you know, I'm like, if this is a hot mess, if I can't fix it within where I am, then it's time to leave you know, I've got, I've been fired twice as well. So I've certainly, you know, outstayed my welcome in a few places, both times when I've inherited a boss, right. In a role doing a great job, boss leaves, new one comes in that didn't work out, you know? And so in terms of taking ownership of my career, I always felt like I needed to do that because my mother was put in such a compromising position. She got pregnant with me in high school, Dad left. We were homeless for a bit. I mean, it was a hot mess. Mm. And, you know, I saw how hard she struggled. I saw all the pain she went through. And that was my driving force to say, I'll never be like that. Yeah. And I overcompensated significantly, right? In terms of never being like that. So I think because of not having the apple pie upbringing that a lot of people have the luxury of. And, you know, really saying, this is, it's gotta be me. That's where all that came from. So I was always in control. And if I didn't, I left and did something different. Never, you know, I changed 11 different major companies along the way, lots of different roles, you know, would always get promoted a year and a half because I was being ambitious. And if my role wouldn't keep up with me, then I'd find something else that would. And then I've also had the benefit again of those mentors right? That really helped be my sponsor to help, you know, advocate for me within the organization beyond my immediate boss, which is great.
1: So what's a day in the life look like for you now?
2: Well, I probably, I don't know, maybe work about 30 hours a week, give or take. Mm. Weekends are off, mornings are mine, two days a week that I'm coaching. And then three days a week where I'm working on the business and working with our other coaches and with our operational teams to make sure that we're there for our clients and for our coaches and growing the business doing stuff like this, right? Yeah. And you know, being able to really help get the word out there because there's just so many people that don't know how easy it is once you get help yeah. to finally turn that corner and get to a place where life is completely in track with where you want it to be. And you don't have to accept status quo and you don't have to accept second best. And when you know how to do it right and you have a fun partner to do it with, then all of a sudden everything changes for them. And so mm-hmm. the more people that know about that, then the better it is for everyone.
1: You talked about growing the business. What are the things that you do for yourself? And what are the things that you have third parties help you with?
2: So in terms of growing the business myself and a lot of time with our client base, both mm-hmm. active, current, and previous, their referrals are a lifeblood of our business, right? In terms of any business. And yeah. so a lot of our business comes through those referral partners. The other thing I do to grow our business is we work with channel partner and referral and affiliate partners. So these are other coaching firms or business consulting firms that serve the same market differently. And so they'll refer clients to us on the regular basis as well. In terms of our coaches, they all have their own networks that they're working with. They're out there working with their communities and their networks to grow their business as well. But we also do advertising, right? So we do some advertising in terms of YouTube and Google. We've got a good PR firm. So actually we've just been published in Business Insider and MarketWatch, you know, Wall Street vet on how to pivot during a crisis. So yes, yeah, so those articles got published was good. And so we're just continuing to work with that, right? And to just become a little bit more mainstream in terms of how people can find us. Because that's the biggest issue is people don't know we're here. Right, I and if they can't yeah. find you, then you can't serve them. Exactly, and you know, so I learned early that a lot of the funnel experts, that stuff doesn't work, at least for me or any of mm-hmm. my other corporate clients, my you know small business clients. And so we get back to some more traditional, just blocking, tackling, handling people one at a time, like human beings, which is so yep. refreshing for many people. So right, yeah. You
1: talked about scuba diving a minute ago. What else do you do to recharge your battery and keep yourself energized?
2: Yeah. So uh, big travel, right? So we, my, you know, my partner and I, we love to travel extensively. Yeah, And so, you know, purpose-built company that, you know, as long as I have my laptop, we're in business, but hiking is a huge thing for us. So okay. in terms of a lot of hiking, you know, cycling, scuba diving, lots of stuff like that. So as long as it's water or mountains, I'm super happy. Right now we've got a volcano that has decided to be a little bit active, shall we say, about an hour away from here. You know, so some of the bigger and higher elevation hiking is off limits for right now anyway, but uh, hopefully that'll calm down at some point point. we can get some proper, you know, some steep hiking in.
1: I would like to come down to Mac- Go and do some, some of the mountain hikes there that are supposed to be beautiful. But I've not other than when I you know was there once for work, as I yeah. mentioned. Yeah, uh, yeah, earlier exactly. too. yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean the vibe here is just absolutely
2: there. amazing, and you know you know also big wine drinker. I love wine and all the things about it. But I'm starting to learn about mezcal now, and so that's also a lot of fun. So it's just yeah. you know it's just very much like a social. You know yeah. we're always with other people doing some fun things, which is always yeah. good.
1: Last question: What do you wish? you had known when you were back in the beginning of your career that you know now?
2: That there, for every position I was in, I had already earned the right to be there. There are so many times I felt like I was in over my skis, that I didn't belong. You know, I just thought like, okay, somebody's lost the other, somebody's going to find out, right? You want to talk about like poster child for imposter syndrome before it was a thing, you know, and that slowed me down. Even as fast as I was able to, you know, accelerate my career, having that consistent and that persistent feeling that I didn't belong. I didn't deserve to be there. I finally figured that I had this quick, story. I know we're wrapping up, but I was at Bank of America. We had just bought Merrill Lynch, financial crisis, all right. the hell was breaking loose. And I was in charge of working with the regulators around the world, trying to calm everybody down, keep the bank open, do all this regulatory stuff. I had no idea what I was doing. I wasn't an attorney. I wasn't a compliance person. I was a front office and middle office girl. So I had no idea how I ended up there. And I was in a very senior executive's office. And the only way you could communicate was to scream at each other. So we were in a cage match, completely Mm -hmm. screaming at each other because I needed some things done in the UK. He didn't want to do it. I'm like, it's my job to keep your guys out of jail. So we were in this giant argument. And then his admin puts through a call. Said it's John on the phone. And so, of course, the executive I'm working with is a total jerk, you know, egomaniac type of thing. Right. So he puts it on speaker. He's like, Hey, what's going on? And on the phone, the other guy goes, Hey, dude, how'd I do last night? And I almost hit the floor. It was John McCain the night after his first debate with Barack Obama. Yeah. And now I'm sitting here 20 years younger, a girl, no college degree. I'm like, what am I doing here? And I said, so I marched into my boss's office. Once he hung up and we got done fighting, marched my boss's office. I was like, why am I here? I'm like, I don't belong here. I'm over like, I'm out of my depth. And, I, and she just let me wind up for a good half hour. Yeah. And then she's like, are you done? I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay, you're here because you're not part of the problem. You're here because you're not afraid to call out BS and you have creative solutions you belong here. And this is, you know, and so as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, I'm here because I'm different versus always having that mindset that I'm different and I don't belong. Had I known that 20 years earlier, things would have been a lot more comfortable at least, and maybe a lot different in terms of growth trajectory as well.
1: Well, good advice and a, a good story for us to end on. So Tammy, thank you. This has been fun. Been uh, it's good been to great get to know you. Thanks
2: yeah. again. Yeah, great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So have a good rest of your day and uh, look forward to staying in touch.
2: Great, thanks. And in terms of being able to reach us, I'm sure you'll have everything in the show notes, but I encourage all of your listeners, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn, Tammy Alvarez on LinkedIn, and then you can also find more information at careerwinnercircle.com.
1: Well, that was fun. Spending time with Tammy, getting to know her, hearing more about the work she does and the topics she covers with her coaching clients. It's also interesting to hear about the business that she's built, the way that she can lead it from anywhere in the world right now from Mexico City and the range of different things that she's done over the years and what she's learned along the way. If you're ready to take control of your career, you can visit pathwise.io. And if you'd like more regular insights, become a Pathwise member. It's free. You can also sign up on the website for our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks. Have a great day.
0: Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.